0: Jesus, risen Lord, you are worthy of every bit of our attention. So we ask that you would guide our hearts and our minds to you. Lord, feed your people who are hungry. And for those who are not hungry, give hunger in the depths of their being. Open your word to us that we might love you in the way that you desire. In your name. Amen. Be seated. Good morning. I was going to start with a joke this morning, but I I just... Couldn't find a good one, so let's get right into it. Uh, sometimes when I'm reading scripture, I come across these uh, little sort of obscure passages that I have never noticed before, and they often are like at the very end of a letter. Let me read you something that really grabbed me the other day as I was reading through the uh, book of Ephesians. At the very end of his letter to the Ephesians, Paul says, Peace be to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Typical benediction from Paul. And then he says this, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That caught my eye. And then it caught my heart. And I began to pray through the week, Lord, what does it mean? What does it look like to love you with love incorruptible? Show me then it just so happens that in our readings today, we actually get two different figures that we see loving Jesus with love incorruptible, and one is St. Paul and one is Mary of Bethany. And so we're going to look at these two characters in Scripture briefly today to ask what we can learn from their devotion and their undying love for the Savior. So first, we're going to be in Philippians 3. If you want to look there in your bulletin or if you have a Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 3. Little context is probably needed here. What's this boasting that Paul is doing in this passage? Well, the context is this. Paul is speaking to uh, what he would Labeled Judaizers and these are a jewish christians who have come to believe on the lord jesus christ But who are in error because they are telling non-jews who want to follow jesus That they need to put their faith in jesus And always be cautious when someone says put your faith in jesus and do this And the men need to be circumcised and you need to follow the written law of torah And paul is saying no no, because you cannot justify yourself before God by doing the deeds of Torah and being circumcised. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's why Paul says this. He says, listen, you think you're good at practicing Judaism and making yourself, uh, trying to make yourself right before God? Let me just tell you about my Jewish street cred for a minute, okay? Let me tell you about my, my Jewish merit. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the 8th day a member of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin a very noble tribe a hebrew born of hebrews as to the law a pharisee that's a religious leader a teacher a prestigious figure in the community as to zeal a persecutor of the church remember before jesus uh, knocked paul upside the head with his glory he was persecuting his followers i was a persecutor of the church and as to righteousness under the law blameless he I followed the law, jot and tittle. How about you? So he's, he's making a point here that he was practicing Judaism better than any of these other guys who are trying to enforce it on new followers of Jesus. But here's the thing. Paul realized something. He realized that you can try to please God without God. You can try to please God without God. It's, the same, it's a principle that stands true for us today. We can try to please God without God. You see, Paul goes on and he says this, whatever gains I had, and I had many, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. He says none of it means anything anymore because of Jesus. No matter what I tried to do to be right with God, to be what he wanted to be, I couldn't get there. I couldn't get there without the Messiah, the Spirit of Jesus dwelling in my heart, making me righteous, making me pure and able to live before him. You see, Paul realized, he realized this, what I do doesn't get me right with God. What I do doesn't get me right with God. He knew that something had to happen from God's side for that to happen. Something had to happen from the heavenly realm for anybody to be right for God. Paul understood that sin and grieving God's heart was something beyond just bad deeds or or, or negative behaviors. He knew that it was something far more pervasive and powerful than that. He knew that sin was an atmosphere, an environment that we all walked in, a power and an influence that humanity is enslaved to. This is interesting. I read People magazine in 1986. They compiled what they called a syndex. And um, they were rating sin on a scale of like lowest sins to highest sins. It was part tongue-in-cheek, but it was part serious. And things like murder and sexual assault and child abuse were very high on the list, of course. And then things like smoking and swearing and uh, illegal videotaping and piracy and things like that were lower on the list. And they concluded this, the the authors of the study concluded this. They said overall readers said they commit about 4.64 sins a month. It's 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 kind of funny, but it's sad, you see, because we, we actually think about sin like this. We're conditioned to think of sin in too small of a way, that it's just specific actions that we commit. But you see, the biblical view of sin is that it is not just something we commit. Sin is something that we are in. It's a state of being in which humanity is held captive to. And Paul knew this. And so no amount of merely trying to better ourselves, even through the practices, the holy practices of Judaism and following the law, even doing that was not going to solve our problem. Something needed to break in and invade the world to solve the problem. Dorothy Sayers, that wonderful old English writer, said sin is a deep interior dislocation at the very center of human personality. It's not just a swear word. It's something very deep in us that needs to be dealt with from outside of us. And friends, that is exactly what the Messiah came in to do. He invaded heaven from earth and came down fully God and fully man and took our sin upon himself to destroy the works of the devil, St. John says, so that we could have a way to find life out of condemnation and judgment into life and love and eternal Righteousness with the Lord and Paul knew that only in Messiah do we find that righteousness Only in believing on his name and trusting in his perfect sacrifice and then moving into life with him Do we get to share in his righteousness a righteousness that comes Paul says apart from the law You see here's a principle for us today about incorruptible love An incorruptible love for Jesus Recognizes that all of my own efforts to be right with God count for nothing in light of the cross all of my own efforts count for nothing in light of the cross. This is the epiphany that Paul is explaining in this passage to people who are saying, no, you need to do this, 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 and this and be right with God. You need to believe Jesus and then you need to follow the law, jot and tittle, to be right with God. And Paul knew that was wrong. He goes on and he says this, it's beautiful. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The emphasis here is on that word knowing. Now, this this word uh, is not talking about mental knowing thoughts and sentiments and facts about Jesus. It's a very personal and relational term. It's the kind of knowledge that uh, a, a, ch- a young child has with their parent or what a husband and wife have, or two best friends have. That's the kind of knowing that Paul, the way that Paul knew Jesus Christ. Now, how do we get that kind of knowing with, with someone? How do, we, how do we develop a relationship of deep knowing like that? We spend lots of time together. We have honest, deep, open conversations. We, we share life. We do life together. Friends, it's the same kind of knowing that we have to practice to be with Christ Jesus. It cannot just be intellectual. It must be experiential. Must be lived in our everyday life. And Paul said, knowing Christ surpasses everything I thought I had and could do and everything that I achieved. Knowing Him means that I count everything else as nothing. It's as rubbish, he says. You see, some of us, some of us need to get out of our head knowledge about Jesus and let Him break open our hearts. And some of us have a tendency when, when he starts to touch and, and to, to convict our hearts and to open up our hearts, we go, ah, ah Jesus, no, 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 no. no, Get back in there. Get back in the head. I like you up there in that box because it's a little bit more safe and it's a little bit more comfortable. I don't like how emotional and sentimental I start feeling when you start breaking open my heart. I don't like the things that I would have to let go of to really let you have all of my heart. And so please get back in my head. You see, some of us need to, we need to let go and let Jesus throw open the gates of our heart and become Lord of our lives. I have to tell you for the first time, really at least in a, in a more profound way, this has happened to me for the, for in 10 years of being a Christian. I think my faith has significantly shifted from being intellectual to being in my heart. And and the way that this looks for me, and it might look different for you, but the way it looks for me is that sometimes I just kneel before him and I just know I'm in his presence. And sometimes I weep and sometimes I laugh a little bit and I probably look a little bit crazy if someone was spying in my office window. But I don't care because he's so good and he's so beautiful and just being in his presence, adoring him, is a far better experience than anything. And, and, And I say this all the time, but some of us get trapped in a cycle of being human doings instead of human beings. And Jesus, first and foremost, wants you to be a human being in his presence. He loves you. He desires fellowship with you. He can't wait to meet you in the morning when you get that cup of coffee. He can't wait. Some of us need to take stock of that because there's hindrances and strongholds over our prayer lives. You see, here's another principle for us. An incorruptible love... For Jesus enjoys Jesus for who he is, not just what he can do for you. This is huge. Have you ever heard someone say, you know what? I prayed. I tried to do that Jesus thing and I asked him to do this and bless me and get my house sold or get me this financial breakthrough and he never answered. And so I don't really do that God Jesus prayer stuff. Have you ever heard someone say something like that? I have. Or maybe you've said something like, I've been asking for this. I've been asking for this miracle for years and it's never happened. And I just feel like I'm going to give up on prayer. I feel like that sometimes. And Jesus looks at us and he says, I want you. I want you first. Now, do do blessings and abundance and things flow to us in the Christian life? Absolutely, I believe that with every fiber of my being. But too many people are are seeking God for provision and guidance rather than relationship. It's a a subtle danger that we can find ourselves in is that we're looking for the blessing and not the blesser. And he wants us. And he wants us to want him. An incorruptible love for Jesus loves and enjoys Jesus for who he is. Here's, here's a, a kind of like a, a test, or how you know if your love for Jesus is it's got that incorruptible aspect to it. Your prayer life and your worship and your devotion—they don't fluctuate and go up and down based on what He's doing for you, based on your life circumstance. And, and some of us, when when we're doing, it might go like this: when we're doing really well in life, the prayer life dwindles because we're like, "Oh, we got the blessing, so good. That's what, what that's what we were after." Or some of us, when we're down in the dumps, we just feel like we just we're just going to give up because He's not answering. But a mark of having love for Jesus and loving him for who he is is that it that doesn't shift. That doesn't fluctuate. We keep pressing in. And you see, and God says he will reward those who diligently seek him. He will reward those who diligently seek him. All right, character number two. Look at your gospel passage, John chapter 12. If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 12 today. Mary of Bethany. Now, I love this scene. Now Mary, you remember Mary the most, this is probably the second famous story about Mary, but the other story is Mary and Martha, I bring it up all the time, Martha's, you know, scuttering around the house trying to get dinner at her, and Mary, Mary's sitting in the presence of Jesus. And, and she's just with him, and that's it. And Martha says to Jesus, she rebukes Jesus, and she says, Jesus, why are you just letting her sit there? Tell her to come over here and help me with dinner. Remember that scene? And what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha, you're so anxious about everything, but Mary's chosen the best portion. And I'm not going to take that away from her. Mary of Bethany is the only person in the Gospels that Jesus publicly commends positively for her, her faith and her devotion on two different occasions. And this is the second one today. I love the scene. So it's a post-miracle dinner scene. So we're sitting there and John tells us, Lazarus, who just got raised from the dead, is sitting at the table just chilling. He's like, wow. This is cool. I was dead, but now I'm not dead. Whoa! I, he was a surfer from California, I guess. <laughs> Amazing. And then this, and then the camera cuts to Mary. She's adoring Jesus. She's doing what she's doing. Friends, we need that spirit that Mary of Bethany has. She's at his feet again, and it tells us she she opens this extremely expensive bottle. Fragrance oil. Now, if you if you look at the Greek, what it is telling us is that this is a year's worth of wages. That's how much this stuff costs. Let's just put a figure on there, say $50,000. You're talking about a $50,000 of perfumed oil, and she's lavishly dumping it all over Jesus' feet and wiping her feet in an act of devotion with his hair. You see, she loves Jesus for who he is. She loves him and just wants to honor him. And here's the thing. It's costly. It costs her something. See, here's another principle. Incorruptible love for Jesus is always costly. It costs us not, not necessarily money, but it costs us time. It costs us effort. It costs us intention. It costs us patience. It costs us sacrifice. It costs us the death of our pride and our resistance to God. It's costly to love Jesus with incorruptible love. And then for some reason, whatever reason, Judas is there, Judas. And of course, he has a snarky comment. Why didn't she? Why did she pour this oil out? She should have sold it and give the money to the poor. And John says, yeah, this devious little bugger, what he really wanted to do was steal the money from the poor basket. And Jesus says to Judas, leave her alone. She bought it that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You see, there's a foreshadowing because we're just days out in the timeline from his crucifixion. There's a foreshadowing of his death and burial. And Mary understands where her Lord is headed. You see what John is doing here? He's connecting love and devotion to Jesus with his sacrifice. It's another principle. An incorruptible love for Jesus is always directly related to his cross and sacrifice. See, to remove the cross from the center of our faith is to remove the very thing that enabled Jesus to love us sinners. And there's this kind of popular trend in in, in some circles in Christianity to sort of push the cross and all of the talk about judgment and God's judgment on sin and the cross and, and blood and sacrifice and forgiveness and all of that stuff to kind of the background because it makes us a little uncomfortable. But see, friends, the danger in doing that and then just simply making Christianity about just loving each other and patting each other on the back and being nice. I'm all about that. But to remove the cross from the center is the dangers that we would actually miss out on how Scripture defines love. First John chapter 4 says this, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, here's the thing. Jesus' love for you is incorruptible. And only until you and I recognize that will we be able to return to him our incorruptible love. You see, he demonstrated it for us when he gave his body over to the whips and the chains and the crown of thorns and the cross. His love is incorruptible. He didn't hold back his own life for you and he had your individual name on his heart when he went to the cross. That's incorruptible and undying love. So the question before us today is, will we return that love to him? Will we return incorruptible love to Jesus? And maybe you're here today and you're painfully aware that your prayer life has been very passive. Or your worship just feels lethargic. Or that you've fallen back into old habits and practices that have actually corrupted your love for Jesus that you once had. Well, here's... Here's the good news. Your heavenly father loves you. Full stop with incorruptible love. And he's eager to restore you. And his greatest desire for you is that you would be able to return that incorruptible love for Jesus. Brother Lawrence, who lived in the 17th century, was a monk and he had disabilities, physical disabilities. And um, all he could really do in the monastery was peel potatoes in the kitchen. And he made he ran errands with much difficulty for the, for the monks sometimes into town and came back. He's writing in the 16th or 17th century. And he wrote this little booklet we have today. We have it bound today. And it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. You can get it for like a dollar or two dollars. If you don't have it, go and get it. Because Brother Lawrence lived in the presence of Jesus and loved him with incorruptible love. But listen to what he says about the mercy and the love of God. He says, I regard myself as the most wretched of all men stinking and covered with sores, and as one who has committed all sorts of crimes against his king. Overcome by remorse, I confess all my wickedness to him, ask his pardon and abandon myself entirely to him to do with me as he will. But this king, filled with goodness and mercy, far from chastising me, lovingly embraces me, makes me eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the keys of his treasures and treats me as his favorite. He talks with me and is delighted with me in a thousand and one ways. He forgives me and relieves me of my principal bad habits without talking about them. I beg him to make me according to his heart and always the more weak and despicable I see myself to be, the more beloved I am of God." That's a man who knew the incorruptible love of Jesus and it inspired him to have an incorruptible love for Jesus. You see, incorruptible love for Jesus, here's the thing about it, adoring him, being with him, pursuing him with every fiber of our being, keeping him at the center of our lives, it's essential, it's vital to our lives because you know what will happen without it? You'll experience spiritual boredom You'll experience spiritual boredom. Some of you know right now what that feels like. Or apathy. You'll you'll turn back to the old habits to find fulfillment, the things that don't really give life. So coming to a close here. As I prayed over this, I said, Lord, what are some practices that I I could share that might help us just grow in our incorruptible love for Jesus? And so I have three things really quick. I'm so um, like old school with the three points, aren't I? I'm always doing three points. So here's the three practices that I would uh, suggest today. And there are many for growing an incorruptible love for Jesus. And um, the first one, I'm just going to keep beating this dead horse. You have to have an intentional, intentionally cultivated prayer life. You cannot walk with Jesus without regular communication with him. You see, it doesn't happen overnight. Some of us, we try like three days in a row and we're like, it's just not working. I don't know what to say. It just doesn't feel like anything. And so I just going to give up and just kind of keep going to church. You can't give up overnight because God blesses faithfulness and perseverance in prayer. And friends, I'm telling you, the more you press in and the deeper you press in, the more you will know his presence and his love and his blessing over your life. And you will get to a place where you just enjoy being with him. Some of you know that. Some of you know what that's like. And it's the best thing in the world. You know it is. Don't, don't be resigned to prayerlessness. God doesn't want that for you. He wants you in his presence. Number two is this active reflection on the life of Jesus. Now, I'm all about books and and media and things like that and DVD series about Jesus and things like that, but the best resource that we have are the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that our Lord God inspired and left for us to study and to get to know Jesus not not just trying to peel away the layers and figure out who he was as a historical Jew and all those things, that's fine, but about a, a God-man who walked the earth and desired fellowship with people and who stood stood with people in one-on-one conversations and let the crowds wait because he loved people on an individual basis. That's the Jesus we need to know. And we need to be active in our reflection, reading through the Gospels, and while we do it, just conversing with him, just speaking with him, asking him questions, because he will be there In that practice he will be there with you he promises he promises it finally the third thing is this and this is probably the most important thing appropriate the promises of god for yourself there are so many promises and so much that we have access to according to scripture that we don't even realize You see, but the Bible tells us that everything that Jesus inherited by by sacrificing himself for us and for the world, everything he inherited, he shares with us. His purity, first and foremost. His power. His glory. St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that he has seated us, God has seated us in the heavenly places with Jesus. That he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If we believe that, we would have to, like the lady in the video this morning, put your seatbelt on every morning in your mind and your prayer life and get ready because what an adventure life will become when we believe that Jesus shares his inheritance with us. And when we start believing it and making use of it and walking in it and walking in intimacy with him, our lives and the lives of others will be changed and God will be glorified. And the risen king will stand and smile upon us and delight in, him, uh, in us from his throne in heaven. So I leave you with these words. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen.